Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. Sons of Sequoia, S-O-S. Episode 5. Today, we're going to be using as a jumping off point Hanlon's Razor. Hanlon's Razor is a philosophical concept uh, that basically states, never attribute to malice, which is adequately explained by stupidity. Uh, What do you think of Hanlon's Razor? Well, I think it's very common. I think people quickly go to malice because it supports their point. But a lot of times, stupidity or ignorance, I'd like to put ignorance in there too. They just don't know. Or they know, but they'll they'll go the wrong way. Uh, They're not really trying to be evil or malice is not intended, but uh, they just don't know. Or or they're ignorant or or they're stupid. They do know, but they're not going to really follow through in the right right manner. Uh, I think it's very common. I think it's very common because people are doing it. Mm -hmm. Humans, uh, the human element uh, changes logic. That's that's what, that's how I see it. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking now. There's uh, the Wikipedia for Hanlon's razor. Uh, and there's related things, and they're fascinating as well. <laughs> uh, apophenia, the tendency to perceive connections between unrelated things. I think we saw a lot of. The, we saw a lot of that with the QAnon folks. Oh, yeah. Now, this happened, so therefore this happened. Wait a minute. There's no connection between those. Mm-hmm. They're saying uh, at Trump's farewell address, I saw this QAnon thing. He was speaking, and if you counted the flags, there were 17 flags. And Q is the 17th letter of the alphabet. Therefore, he was about <laughs> to arrest Joe Biden and stay president forever. And it's like, ah, I think you're wrong. Yeah, that's. I think that's. Uh, uh, that's the whole mandate. That's the uh, the whole foundation of numerology. Mm-hmm. Let's see what else is there that's related to Hanlon's razor, the Dunning Kruger effect. That one is, I think, very uh, fascinating. Do you know what that one is? I- uh, yeah, again, that's human nature. That's human. The Dunning Kruger effect is the very, very human nature to where uh, uh, I'm not going to say this very diplomatically, but if you're not very intelligent, you're going to think you're smarter than what you are. And uh, that's dangerous. And if you're very intelligent, you're not going to think you're as smart as what you are. Uh, and that's that's unfortunate. Uh, that's that's just as dangerous, actually, because you're not you're not taking control when you should. And I think a, a, a play of that, not always, but uh, sometimes you've seen people in positions of power that really shouldn't be there because they think they should. And so uh, they they get to positions of power just because they uh, uh, they think they're capable and they get there and they're not. Wow. Yes, yeah, so we've the- seen that. So the Dunning-Kruger effect, just for those who don't know, is uh, cognitive bias where people with low ability overestimate their skill. And I guess, conversely, this doesn't say it here, but people with high ability underestimate their skill. And I think that uh, they say Dunning-Kruger is not about intelligence, it's about ability. So if you're a, a very successful architect, you'll sort of feel like, oh, I'm a smart guy. I can weigh in on medicine, and I know as much as any doctor. But that's not really your field. You haven't you know, put in the time and developed ability in that field. So it's not necessarily an issue of intelligence. It's an issue of your ability at something. That's, uh, that's better. That's correct. Well, thanks for correcting me, David. That's, that's, that's good to know, and that's important to know. It's, it's your ability. And, and you think you're better at something than what you are. That's that's the Dunning-Kruger effect, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. So if you okay. don't have any ability, it doesn't matter if you're smart or dumb. Uh, you'll overestimate your ability. Like like you're saying, scientists, I've seen this. 
scientists who are geologists, uh, I shouldn't pick on geologists, uh, <laughs> scientists who are biologists or geologists or physicists, they think they know everything about biology or astrophysics, but they really don't. Yeah. I guess an example, a story was that uh, uh, John Nash, the renowned mathematician, mm -hmm. came in came into Einstein in uh, Princeton and said, uh, I, I have a physics, uh, some physics uh, a proof for you. And he says, OK. And so John Nash, who's a renowned mathematician, uh, showed uh, Albert Einstein this this uh, physics proof. And after he got done, uh, I guess Einstein's comment was, as recorded, was, you need to learn more physics. Yeah. <laughs> They're two different fields. Mm -hmm. I guess that's kind of, I don't know if that's really a, an application of the Dunning-Kruger effect, but I love that because uh, discipline in the fields, when you go deep in a field, you know that field, but be careful uh, about applying that to other fields. You have to learn their field as well. And so I guess that one outlay of that is that if you're if you're sensitive to Dunning-Kruger effect, respect what other people know, wherever they are and whoever they are, and respect what other people can do. Uh-huh. But, um, uh, yes, I think that's true. And yet, I would never respect someone trying to sell me essential oils. <laughs> and there's this big overlay of expertise. Oh, this oil does this, that oil does that. And I would say, no, no, it doesn't. I don't have any expertise in uh, the essential oil trade, but I'll tell you right now, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I get upset when I hear that my friends went to a chiropractor. I'm like, you know that chiropractor chiropractic medicine is not a real thing, right? And they say, well, you know, it's just, you know, it really helps my back. And it's like, yeah, I would stop doing that. It's not, I, I, I personally, from what I've seen and what I've read, I don't believe it's a real thing. But I guess if it makes you feel better, it's sort of like, I don't know, retail therapy. It's like, what did you do? Oh, I went out and bought a new pair of shoes. Why? Because I felt down in the dumps. And it's like, that's not a real thing either, but it does help. So, you know, more power to everyone. Well, uh, there is a place. I, I think there is a place for chiropractic, but uh, you don't want to put it in a place where it doesn't belong. <laughs> uh, I think that's true. And I guess where I bristle is when they call it medicine. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, I, I agree. It's like calling the shoe store the pharmacy because you're going to go engage in retail therapy. Like you may feel better by buying yourself some shoes, but that doesn't mean that it's medicine. Yeah, but then I, I see as far as the skill is concerned, uh, I can figure out how to fix plumbing in my house. Like I probably could figure it out. But someone who's a master plumber, I'm going to trust them way beyond what I can do because mm -hmm. their ability is better than what I have. And I think... Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm good in some things, but I you have to recognize you're not good in that, uh, and so I think that may be, uh, to me, maybe a better application of the Dunning Kruger effect, because uh, I know their ability they've proven their ability much better, and uh, and I think also like in, in education, uh, you can get a degree in something, and so you know, uh, you have the knowledge. Uh, and sometimes a deep knowledge in that area. But then when you start developing your skills related to that area, uh, there's where people get certified in certain areas and they're very good at applying their knowledge in that area. So knowledge in an area and skill in an area are two different things. Well, not they are different things. They're related, though. Uh, you can't have a good skill without a knowledge, but you can have the knowledge and not really have a good skill in that area. Like you might learn all about forecasting, but if you've never applied forecasting in this particular business area or this particular government area or this particular military area, you have the knowledge, but you don't have the skill in that area. So I think, I think uh, again, uh, when you read that is like cognitive bias 
for people with low ability. It talks about ability, at least in this in this uh, mm-hmm. in the Wikipedia. So to me, maybe that's what it means. Yeah, I think that's a good point. All right, we're going to move on to Clark's Three Laws. Have you ever heard of these? Clark's Three Laws, no. Proposed by science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke. He had three adages known as Clark's Three Laws. Uh, Do you want to hear them? Yeah, oh yeah. When a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. (laughs) Okay. The only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. Okay. And number three, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever heard those? No, I've never heard those. Neither have I. I'm reading them for the first time. I can see them. I can see what they mean. I, I can see reasons why each one of them. It's the, that's good. Uh, science fiction writer, huh? Yeah. A science fiction writer. I, so he had these in his... I wonder if he just recognized that this was this is reality and is going to put it in there for people to believe. Yeah, well, I think he spent, he spent his time thinking about what the future would look like. And in science fiction, it's all like, you know, there's going to be scientific advances. and Because if you ever read science fiction, it's fiction with, with science. <laughs> <laughs> well said, David. Well said. It's, it, the stories are the same. Like, some of them are westerns. Some of them are romances. Some of them are mysteries. And there's future or space or new technology just added as a veneer onto these classic story forms. If you, yeah, like uh, a good example of that is Dick Tracy way back uh, when I was a kid and before I was a kid. Uh, Dick Tracy had this science fiction where you had a watch and you can push some buttons on the watch. And all of a sudden you could see a picture of your friend and talk to him over your watch. And that was science fiction. And today we do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was fiction back then. It's nonfiction today. Yeah. I think so of that, a... that's good. Back to the Future 2, which takes place in the future. You know that one? Oh, yeah. Uh, where Biff Tannen is Donald Trump. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But Marty McFly, he comes in and he says, turn on channel 4, 7, 12, 33, and 122. And it's on the screen. And there's little blocks of video. And all the channels play at the same time. And in 1989, or whenever they made that movie, they were saying... Uh, this is what the future is going to look like. And, you know, you'll be able to play multiple TV channels at the same time. And that's not necessarily what happened because they were thinking people will still use TV in 2020. Uh, but I get done watching a YouTube video and I don't have autoplay. And it gives me a bunch of thumbnails for another YouTube video. It looks a lot like what Marty McFly was looking at. Uh, <laughs> it's like, okay, your video's done. Here's 12 videos to choose from. You know, and you go and you click another one. It's like, that's... Kind of what they thought would happen in Back to the Future Part Two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think science fiction, a lot of it is, and if you look at Back to the Future Part Two, yeah, there's this time travel aspect, there's this futurist aspect, but it's just a a story about you know a man setting right wrongs, you know, a man trying to teach his son not to make the same mistakes that he did. There's a, there's a lot of themes in there that could be divorced from the whole time travel future thing. The stories, they ring true with people not because there was cool special effects or there was, uh, you know, it was set in a different period of time. The stories are universal. The time is just sort of a setting to hang the story on. Yeah, the time is the, the, the setting is the hook, but then the uh, story uh, is something, a takeaway. And that's what captures people. That's, what, that's why people like watching. They can identify with it. They can identify with the storyline, and, and it means something to them. Now, with Clark's three laws, I'm looking here, when he states that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. But there are certain things that are just impossible. <laughs> I mean... Well, I think, I think what, when I read that, what I thought, because I, I pulled it up here, 
No, what, what I think he means by that, at least what I, what I mean by that, is that when a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, usually an elderly science is speaking from experience. Like, yeah, that's possible. Because they've seen things similar, they've seen things that, that like that that can happen, and so they, they from experience, they say, yeah, that, that could happen. Uh, he is almost certainly right because he's seen things similar to, to, that did happen. And so there's where that, that confidence comes. But when he states that something is impossible, well, sometimes they say, wait a minute, I've never seen that before. Wait a minute, I don't think that can happen. He is probably wrong because I think what happens is that sometimes I do this. I go, wait a minute, I've never seen that. That, that can happen because from my past experience, that uh, this is going to prevent that from happening, but the future may not have those those uh, restrictions. And so again, uh, looking at the past, the past can can cloud the future. Uh, he's probably wrong because he says no. The way it's always been has never been that way, so it can't be that way in the future. Well, the way it always has been doesn't always have to be that way, and so things can change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's the second part of it. But that's how I see it. How do you see it? Yeah, I think that's he's sort of talking like uh, uh, like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or you know they dropped out of college and yet they went on to be these titans of industry because they said uh, let's do things slightly differently. You know, Apple think different, and so they were able to achieve the quote impossible end quote. But I mean. I think that, you know, the people at Hewlett Packard or IBM, when Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were coming out, might have said, oh, what you're trying to do is impossible. Or like, we don't see the market segmentation that would allow you to proliferate personal computers or operating system software to the extent that you think is possible. That's impossible. And Steve Jobs and Bill Gates said, no, I think that this could exist. But... When you talk about scientists, those, they're technologists. I mean, Steve Jobs, he, I mean, he's a technologist, but he's more of a marketing guy. I mean, Bill Gates is more of a computer scientist than a, you know, a hard scientist. When you talk about scientists, a chemist or a, um, a biologist or a physicist, I, I think if they're elderly or if they're young, they may state that something is impossible because it is impossible. You know what I'm saying? I think they're saying if you want to push the limits of technology, young people will always be more willing to do that. I think that's what rule one, when a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he's most certainly right. When he states it's impossible, he's probably wrong. I think they're talking about pushing technology forward. But there's precepts of science that make things possible and impossible. That's very <laughs> true. Very true. Well, the other thing I thought of was uh, I looked this up. Fred Smith. Have you ever heard Fred Smith in the mid-60s? No. Fred Smith uh, was at Yale, and he gave this uh, report, um, uh, this business plan uh, on a logistics company. And it's it was reported. I read here it's reported he got a C on it, but they says, nah, the, the grade. We don't know what the grade was. But anyway, uh, it was reported what I heard. He says, no, that's not going to work. Uh, but then he left Yale and he decided, yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to uh, take this plan. I'm going to broaden it. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to see if it's going to work. And it did work in the mid 60s. He started this little company that grew called FedEx. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know I think uh, teachers, professors uh, should never say it's not going to work. They can say, wow, that's unlikely. But. Never say it's not going to work because it could work, mm -hmm. especially in the future. Anything can happen. You can even talk to people on your watch and you can create a company like FedEx uh, or even Amazon. You know, you'll never beat you'll never beat uh, Barnes and Noble. I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can. So I think uh, never say never. Uh, and like we did last episode, last uh, episode in the uh, Sons of Sequoia podcast, whether you think it's going to be successful or not, you never give up and you keep going because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Things change in the world. 
the world is is uh, well, the world is uh, life and reality is not a storybook because sometimes it's it's more bizarre than you ever thought. Yeah, and sometimes you just flat out fail despite trying hard. Like I think that in a future movie Tuesday we may talk about Forrest Gump, and you could say, well, what if his boat hadn't survived the hurricane? And Bubba Gump Shrimp Company didn't get all that money, and they didn't invest it in Apple, and he wasn't a millionaire. Like, his story might have been different, but, uh, I mean, everything works out for him in Forrest Gump, more or less, in the end. But that's, I mean, that's why people like the movie. It's a happy story. It's not like Forrest ends up penniless on the road, like, with people taking advantage of him. Uh, Although he is penniless on the road for a long stretch of time while he's running. I guess we can get into Forrest Gump in a separate episode when we discuss that movie well, specifically. There's so much in Forrest Gump, and it's and it's a fiction, but I think they're trying to tell a story. I think they're trying to... It's not about what happens to him. It's about how he carries himself through life, and we'll talk about that on on future mm. on, on a future uh, uh, episode. But I think uh, as far as the, uh, uh, the three laws, the first law, I think it was... is. Uh, it, I, I can see reasons why that would be true. Mm-hmm. That you know, if they say it's right, you know, I believe them. But if someone young, that's why you need. Uh, if you're being innovative, and you have a think tank, you need older people and younger people together. Because the older people will say, "I don't think that's feasible." The younger people says, "Yeah, we can do it. We can do it." So they blindly will go uh, where no man. Sh- should go, <laughs> mm-hmm. but sometimes they will. And then the older people uh, will have all this experience and say, well, maybe we need to be careful about this. So they bring feasibility to the table and the uh, younger people will bring uh, blind vision to the table. I say blind initially, but together they can come together and have something that, hey, that might work that neither thought would work. So I think you need both young and people uh, together at the table uh, if you're trying to be creative and, and innovative. Yeah, That's number one. I mean, I think you need men and women at the table, too. I think that... Uh, huh? Have you ever seen Mad Men? Maybe. It's an, about an advertising agency in the 50s. And it's all oh. men, oh. you know. And they're trying to figure out how to sell products to women. And it's a group of like 10 men. You know, and it's like, you know what you could do? You could bring a woman into this conversation. They might offer some valuable perspective, <laughs> you know? How do you sell, I don't know, tampons or sanitary napkins? It's like, um, maybe a guy shouldn't be making these decisions because a guy is not the one that's going to be buying these products. Uh, but let's move on. Finagle's Law. I have a theory about this one. Finagle's Law is anything that can go wrong will at the worst possible moment. <laughs> How true. Finagle? Yeah. Okay, I I think I've heard that before, actually. But I kind of feel like uh, sometimes things will go wrong at the worst possible moment. But a lot of times that might be from lack of preparation on the part of the, the party where things are going wrong to. Lack of diligence, you know? Like, I didn't never put oil in my car for the last year and a half. And then on my way to the job interview, my car broke down. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, at the worst possible moment, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, at the worst possible moment, uh, the worst moment is when it does fail. That's the worst, when it fails. But is it going to fail after it fails? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in other words, when it fails... That is the worst possible moment, you know, and so it's kind of like a it's kind of like a circular circular statement. Yeah, you know, the last thing you do is the last thing you do. <laughs> well, if you're going to fail, you're not going to keep going after you fail. <laughs> it's like so how you mean, always find something in the last place you look. Exactly, exactly. Well, why would you keep looking after you found it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so people say this. Oh, that's so true. Uh, well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it it can't be untrue. I mean, yeah, why would you keep looking? Uh-huh. So I don't like Finagle's Law. I mean... 
Well, maybe finagle is a finagle a person. Uh, no, it's first used by John Campbell Jr. Uh, but the point is finagle's law. No, I, I here's what I say in our in this episode of whatever whatever uh, finagle's law. I think it's the word finagle is appropriate. These are the kind of laws. People attribute a law to them because they can say that and you can't say it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And they sound smart and they sound like, oh, that's true. And it's kind of like an argument. If you say something that's true, that no one can argue against, then you have the platform and you can go on and say something that you want to you want to propose or you want to support. You see what I mean? Mm hmm. So you're finagling, you're finagling the conversation to your side because you're saying something that nobody that nobody can refute or nobody will disagree with. So it's a it's it's one of many uh, laws that are finagling the conversation <laughs> to their side. See, I would say if I had a law that was trying to express the spirit of finagle's law, but be more accurate instead of anything that can go wrong will at the worst possible moment. I would say something that can go wrong will at an inopportune time. <laughs> That's more, uh, you know, when something goes wrong, it's typically inopportune. Uh, it's how do you know it was the worst possible moment? You know, you might be on stage in front of 10,000 people. And the second you step off stage, your belt breaks and your pants fall down. And everyone backstage can see your junk. But uh, <laughs> but at least it didn't happen two minutes earlier when you were on stage in front of 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. So, and you could say, that was the worst possible moment. Like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think the Finagle's Law is more of like a folksy, uh, it's like Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will. That's Murphy's yeah. Law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like, it's like saying, it's like, again, it's like saying something like, like uh, if it's, it, uh, it could happen because it did happen. Well, yeah, <laughs> it did happen. So saying it could happen because it did happen, you can't argue with that. It did happen. You know, mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing. Okay, Hitchens Razor. I think that's Christopher Hitchens. That's a burden, a burden of proof of a claim lies with the one who made it. I like that one. A burden of proof. Um, Christopher Hitchens, let's see. Yeah. The burden of proof. Okay, well, I think I think that's the uh, approach where you say, I think this is I think this is right. Prove me wrong. Yeah. That kind of thing. Oh, okay. Now it's my job to prove that you're wrong. No, it's your job to prove that you're right. Is that what you're saying? Is uh, that, yeah, I think, think that's, that's exactly it? what he's saying. Actually, that's a very common, uh, not a common, but it's a part of uh, argument a lot of people make. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that we saw it in the election, uh, or the post-election period. There was... I'm going to assert without evidence that there was massive voter fraud. And it's your job to prove that there wasn't, because I believe that it happened. That's right. And it's like, if you're going to make the, the claim that there was voter fraud, it's your job to prove that it did happen. It's mm -hmm. not someone else's job to prove that it didn't. That's right. I, and actually, this is a very burden of proof, I guess you think of uh, the legal system. Uh, and I think uh, this is probably uh, Hitchens Razor, maybe. Well, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a lawyer, but I would say, uh, or legal or anything. I say is Hitchens Razor the foundation of your innocent before proven guilty. Yeah. Because the burden of proof is on proving someone guilty. Yeah. You can't say you're guilty. Oh no, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. Well, if you're claiming someone to be guilty. They have to be innocent and be proven guilty. So is that kind of like a, is that that? Is that the same thing? Sort of, yeah, I think so. I think that Christopher Hitchens, he was known for getting into heated arguments with people. 
philosophical and uh, what was Hitchens? Who's Christopher Hitchens? He was an atheist. Yeah, atheist political critic. That's what it says. So he would off, often be in heated arguments with people, and they would make you know bold claims, and then they'd say prove that it's not true. And so I think that he formulated this razor to say, no, if you're going to make the claim, it's up to you. It's, it's on you to, to prove the claim. It's not on me to disprove the claim. And I think that's a good rule of thumb. Because proving a negative is very difficult. Yeah, I don't think we want to get into this, but uh, you can move into religion. You know, does God, does God exist? You can't prove that he exists, so he doesn't. But then... Uh, proof, uh, I don't want to get into religion, but the proof, uh, I think, is proof of a truth. Uh, and then you can believe something is true. That's different than proving that something is true. In other words, I believe it's true, but I can't really prove it. And sometimes that is just as powerful. Aha! Believing, I'm, I'm going into an area here, David. Mm-hmm. Believing that something is true is different than proving that something is true. So it may not be true, but I believe it. But it may be true because I can prove it. And so we've seen this past month with all the riots and everything, uh, people cannot prove uh, anything that happened, but they believe it happened. Why? Because everyone's saying it happened, uh, like voter fraud. But I believe it. And if you believe it, sometimes that's more powerful than proving it. Because in believing it, uh, you're going to act on it. And we've seen people acting on it. Mm-hmm. I will. I mean, and if you take a look at Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, when they sort of, despite the insurrection on the Capitol, continued to object, they didn't object on the basis of voter fraud. If you looked at their arguments, they objected on the basis of 75 million people believe that there was voter fraud. So we need to look into it. And it's like, but we know that there was a voter fraud. So why do we need to look into it? Um, I think the rebuttal, I think the rebuttal to that on the floor would be, do we rule on beliefs or do we rule on truths? Mm -hmm. Hitchens razor. Yeah. Okay, the law of triviality, moving on. Okay, moving on. Focusing on what is irrelevant but easy to understand. That's the law of triviality. Law of triviality. Nineteen fifty seven. Oh, where's it at? Okay, say it again, David. Uh, it's basically focusing on what is irrelevant but easy to understand. It's the argument that people within an organization commonly or typically give disproportionate weight to trivial issues. Anyone who's worked in an organization knows that this is, in fact, a law. <laughs> you'll you'll have a two-hour meeting to discuss the font on your email newsletter. <laughs> And you'll choose Arial or whatever when at the beginning it was Calibri. And, <laughs> and you have five people in the meeting. Each one is pulling a salary. And you do the back of the envelope math. And you say, that was a $600 decision. Which font to use? And it's not going to make a damn difference in this world which font we choose for our email newsletter. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we used to say, uh, wait a minute, we're just rearranging, especially when uh, things are going negative uh, and we start talking about the details that don't matter. Uh, another saying is that we're, we're rearranging the deck, uh, we're, we're rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Yeah. We're going down. This doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't, this, what's, or you're rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. So it just, just really does not, it does, 
It just doesn't matter. I, I, so, I think people do that with wordsmithing in the corporate sphere. Um, uh, I agree. Like, oh, we shouldn't say uh, our new initiatives are focused on diversity. We should say they're focused on inclusion. We don't want to make an explicit reference to sociocultural differences. We just want to show that we're inclusive of everyone. So I think it should say inclusion and not diversity. And then someone says, why don't we want to make an explicit reference to it? I think we should be saying this stuff explicitly. That's the only way we're going to move forward. Then you have an hour-long debate. And and then, you know, 10 people that are pulling down a salary, uh, getting paid to be there, after an hour they decide, oh, well, you know what we could do? We could say diversity and inclusion. And they say, okay. <laughs> And it's like, and it took you an hour to come to that decision. It's insane, but I mean, I think you know what I'm talking about. You've been in enough meetings. Oh yeah, I, I've heard along, along those lines. I've had problems with those kinds of discussions on do you say V or A? <laughs> a reason or the reason? I says it just doesn't matter. It's whether it's the reason, which means the only reason, or a reason, there's other reasons, uh, go for it. Just say, take both out. Just say, reason that I'm going to be doing this is this. Is it the reason or a reason? Oh, for crying out loud. You know, let's just, uh, and I think uh, good leaders, uh, I've been in board meetings, good leaders, they, they, they won't let that happen. They go, okay, stop talking. This is where it's going to be and move on. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to be a leader and say, okay. Knock this off. We're not going to have a conversation about this today. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the same in music, too. I've, I've known people, and they have an arsenal of gear, and they don't really even know how to play. <laughs> you know? They got the $2,000 guitar, the $1,000 amp, a pedal board with five grand in pedals on it, and they don't have any chops. And it's like, I think they spent all their time buying new stuff, and no time with their hands on their guitar practicing. And then when you're recording, this happens to me, you focus over minute stuff. Oh, is the EQ right? Is the compression right? Or whatever. And mixing decisions. And and then you go back and you listen. And you're like, man, I really should have added an extra chorus at the end there. Like, that's a big picture decision. The little tweaks you were making to the knobs, no one's going to notice that. You're the only one that's parsing that at the end of the day. Uh, and... You know, getting big picture stuff right, like this, like the story that you tell, like in a movie. You know, if your special effects are cheesy, uh, like people may not forgive that. But if your writing is lame, no one will like your movie. You got to tell the story. <laughs> you got to st- tell the story first. That's good. That's like when I was young and played football. We had this guy come out one time at practice, and he had pads everywhere. He had pads on his arms. He had pads on his legs. He had pads on his hand. He had pads on his pads, you know. But they were expensive. They they were, I go, oh, my goodness. Who bought all these? My parents bought these for me. I go, oh, and they had his name on them. They had little little symbols on them. And, and all, it was really fancy. You know? oh, and so all of us were looking at him. It was good grief. Like, what? why do you have all these pads on? And he said, well, I, I, it's going to make me a better player. We all looked at each other and we, <laughs> our looks. Everyone on the team looked at each other and said with that look, nothing's going to make you better, yeah. Bob. <laughs> You're right. This is, so basically, it was a punching bag because we knew it'd never get hurt. Mm-hmm. So we used him as the, as the punching bag because, because he, he, was, he was not that good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people make up for what they don't know with things that they can argue that are trivial. Yeah. Or, you know, like arcane knowledge about something. Um, you know, I used to work with this guy, and he knew that I liked music. And he tried to come with stories, you know, about bands and stuff. Did you know that this band, this happened to them? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It reminds me of a time when I was on tour, and I was hanging out with this band and that band. And this happened, and he was uninterested by that. And he's like, no, but you don't understand. Like, <laughs> I knew this story that you didn't. I know more about music than you. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've done music. Like, I've traveled all over the nation, like, playing music. Like, so it reminds me of my experiences when you tell a story about these bands on the road, because I've been in a band on the road. And, 
And he didn't want, he just wanted to one-up me with his knowledge of arcane music trivia. And it's like, ah, okay, you know, that's what that's what floats your boat. Yeah, it's misplaced knowledge. Uh-huh. Mis, misplaced knowledge, yeah. Happens a lot. What was it and called? A lot, it's, a, it's a sign of someone who really doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Or, you know, or just trying to, trying to relate to you. And you can't relate to that experience of playing a show. But you can sort of find out facts about other people that have played shows, you know? And that on some, well, it's trying to connect. He wasn't trying to like one up me. It's just okay. like let, let's connect by talking about music. I love music too. Did you know that Fleetwood Mac played this show here and blah 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 happened? Like no, I didn't know that. Why would I know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, when you have, I, there's nothing. Uh, well, there's, there's there's things, but I think. It, let me say it this way: experience is extremely valuable. Because if, like, you've been on tour, when you've been there, you've seen that, you know what it's like. And uh, a lot of times I see movies, we'll get back to when we talk about movies. Some of these movies uh, get close to what I do and my experience. I go, yeah, that's right. Or I can say, oh, that doesn't work that way. Uh, because from your experience, you know how it's what it's like. And, uh, and so having experienced things, you can tell very, very quickly when someone is talking about something that they've really never experienced it, they maybe heard it from somewhere. You know, like some people are very sound smart because they're very good at saying things that they heard, but they've never really had an original thought themselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So and sometimes there's where the triviality comes in. If they're a master of trivia they might sound smart, but when you start getting down in the layer below, they may not know really what all that means. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's true. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah, do you have another one? Newton's Flaming Laser Sword. Ooh, that sounds fancy. Also known as Alder's Razor, A-L-D-E-R. You want to hear it? Yeah. In its weakest form, it says that we should not dispute propositions unless they can be shown by precise logic and or mathematics to have observable consequences. In its strongest form, it demands a list of observable consequences and a formal demonstration that they are indeed consequences of the proposition claimed. Should not dispute propositions unless... They can be shown to have observable consequences. I don't. Wait a minute. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to decipher that. In its weakest form, it says we should not dispute propositions unless they be good shown. Oh, I see. Uh, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Is that what that's saying? Yeah, or like, why have a philosophical debate over something that has no consequences? Ah, uh, yeah. So it's not until, you know, the the product of the, you know, differing beliefs will have consequences, that it becomes worthy of debate. It says do not dispute. Does that mean people can say anything they want uh, if there's no, <laughs> if uh, they can't show any consequences? Yeah, I mean... Like if I say, I think that in Star Wars, Darth Vader was the good guy and Luke Skywalker was the bad guy. Uh, oh, what does it matter? What does it matter? It's not like if that's true, the film is going to be different. You know? But yeah. I guess, you know, you might get butt hurt and be like, no, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are both the good guys because they killed the Emperor. Or some people would say, no, Darth Vader's the bad guy and Luke Skywalker's the good guy. Uh so it's like, oh, well, now we have three different propositions. <laughs> and the consequence is, if you say something like that, um, people do get butt hurt. That's an observable consequence. Yep. Yep. So I think this is saying, okay, should I go on and read more of the Wikipedia? Because I don't really know this. I come into this cold. I've never heard of this before. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm reading it here now. Okay, so you have the Wikipedia pulled up. Yeah. Um, 
it's very, very interesting, these things, because it's so, uh, people have noticed, talking about this in general, people have seen these things, they've noticed these things, and then they, then they articulate them. And when you can name them and articulate them and, and describe them, then what you can do is like, oh, okay, well, then you can use it. It's usable. I think, I think uh, these kinds of things are very valuable. Because if you use them, then it allows you to, I guess, uh, uh, argue better, uh, make better decisions, uh, and uh, enjoy uh, your your uh, the results and the consequences of your decision better because you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that strongest form of uh, Newton's flaming laser sword or Alder's razor is uh, demand a list of consequences. Uh, show me, you know, show me the consequences of what what this is. But it's notice it says by precise logic and or mathematics. In other words, a certain type of uh, structure, not just argument, not just loose uh, inductive argument. Actual, I say, when he says precise logic, I'm thinking of deductive logic, like if then. Uh, and if it's true, then the, then if A is true, then B. A is true, therefore B. So it's very precise logic, or it's a certain mathematical logic where you have axioms and premises and conclusions. Mm-hmm. So uh, unless you can do that, uh, you really shouldn't dis- dispute any propositions. Yeah. Uh, the strongest form is just actually give me... Uh, a list of observable consequences and formal demonstrations. So get away from just the logic or mathematics. Show me the actual results. And I can I can tell I can see here also a a, a corollary to this is they'll show you a result and they'll say it's a consequence and you can argue whether it's a consequence or not. <laughs> yeah. Like ah that, no that doesn't follow that doesn't follow. Uh, so it has to be a direct consequence uh, or result of it, of the pr- proposition uh, claimed, in such a way that that it can't happen without without the premise. So that's kind of like a, in logic, in a deductive logic, it's if A then B, mm-hmm. you know, and if A is true, then B is true, but if B is true, that doesn't mean A is true, uh, and uh, so uh, you got to be really really careful. Of saying, okay, I'm showing you a consequence, therefore A is true. Not necessarily, not if it follows, not if it doesn't follow. So you have to say, oh, well, if A, then this follows, and I can show you that it does follow because I, I have a, I have a consequence, an actual result. Again, a need, a need for understanding logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can go into different logical uh, formations and logical forms. It's really necessary today because. Wow, how much fallacy is used everywhere, mm-hmm. even on Congress floor, even in the arguments in Congress and our and our and our our leaders that we uh, elected uh, representatives at, in the Capitol. How much fallacious arguments are touted, and you go, oh my goodness, and how many how many different fallacies are there? So these are different razors and swords, but we could also have another episode, David, on different fallacies. Yeah. Not fallacies, on where different fallacies are being used and the application of fallacies. Yeah, like uh, collect a bunch of clips. Yeah. Yeah. And, and analyze the uh, fallacy. I'm, the, I'm not a logician. Uh, I wish I was. Uh, and I, uh, it would be love to have uh, a someone uh, uh, who is uh, first – a PhD in logic, uh, who is very good at this, on the show, and just go through uh, uh, a number of these and have them actually talk about the the logical foundation, and then we can talk about the application. And also the, the danger, the danger of using fallacious arguments to support a point, uh, because you can have riots. Well, yeah, you can. I mean, I think the thing is, though, the, the reason why people use fallacious arguments is that they're a real time saver. And the point isn't uh, winning on the merits of the debate. The point is winning hearts and minds 
of your core constituency. So, uh, you know, if Ted Cruz is in a debate with Donald Trump and he says, this man has lied every time, and Donald Trump says, lying Ted, lying Ted, you're lying, lying Ted. And people are like, that's so hilarious. He called him lying Ted. It's like he didn't dispute any of the points that Ted Cruz brought up. Ted Cruz was a uh, champion debater at Princeton on the debate team. Uh, went to law school, graduated top of his class. I mean, he's a smart guy who knows how to debate in a rigorous, formalized debate format. But he, when he debated Donald Trump, it wasn't a rigorous, formalized debate format. It was who can score the most sucker punches. <laughs> and therefore, he lost to Donald Trump because Donald Trump is a sucker punch artist. So it's a different, it's a different arena. Yeah, it's the, not the same. The yep, rules of the rules. game are different. Yep, that's reality. Mm-hmm. So maybe fallacious arguments uh, can be extremely powerful. Dangerous, yeah. dangerous, true, but also powerful. And or so maybe the good the guys. I mean, maybe the good guys and the bad guys, they all use fallacies. But it's like, when do you use them? And it's sort of like, what are you trying to achieve? And would having a measured, constructive debate on logic be appropriate here? Or do you just devolve into fallacy? Because that's what you need. Uh, well, another another uh, question is, when do you use structured logic and when do you use fallacious arguments? Does because fallacious arguments maybe when you're working with, like you say, the hearts and minds of a constituency, uh, fallacious arguments used uh, strategically can be much more effective than logical arguments about policy. Mm -hmm. But when do you use the logic of policy? There are times when you need to use that and understand that, because if you don't, the consequences are dire. Yeah, dire, dire consequences. And you don't want to use fallacious arguments when you're actually putting together policy for uh, behind closed doors to to have these results. If 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 the results uh, are are direct results of your logic, make sure that you have clean arguments and logic moving forward. But the fallacious arguments, if you're hearts and minds of people, I don't know. I'm throwing this out there. Uh, there's probably a reason why you would use your fallacious arguments and fallacies, and there's a reason why you wouldn't. And so, again, that's the real world. And uh, you can't just come down on one side. It's not black and white. It's not one right or left, uh, one side or the other. Uh, that's all gray. Uh, and it's a whole spectrum. And I think, uh, I don't know, I just think uh, we should uh, education and teach our children at a very young age to think of all sides. Mm -hmm. Because uh, uh, the world is not simple. The world is Nonlinear and complex. All right, we got two more, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. The Peter Principle. You know this one. Uh, is that like... Uh, uh, well, what I remember uh, from the Peter Principle is that uh, the a person rises to the position of the worst competency. Yes. Is that so, it? Yeah, that's it. Oh, Okay. I was so, right. So every employee tends to rise to his level of incompetence. You'll, okay. If you're good at something, you'll keep getting promoted. If you're super competent, they'll say, this person's competent. And they'll promote you to a position where you're competent. And they'll say, oh, this person can do it. Now they'll, let's promote him to another position, then you'll be incompetent. Uh, and they won't promote you any higher because you've reached your level of incompetency. Yes. <laughs> and it's that's just, true it's basically just like skills in one job don't necessarily translate to another job that's very very true i've seen that a lot in business when i was working mm -hmm. that's extremely true but it's not always true because uh, sometimes you get smart people uh they're not there because they want to be promoted actually uh, in some companies uh like people get promoted to VP or even president, and then they then they step down to a VP or a director or manager because they know that they can do that well, and that's all they want. And so uh, we're talking about competency here. 
we're not necessarily talking about people making judgments and, and the value system. And also uh, some people are sharp and smart enough to say, I don't want to be there. I want to stay here because I can do a good job here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that does happen, too. I've seen that, too. Very, very good, competent people do not want to be at the top because they know they can do a good job where they are and they'll stay there. So I'm reading this. It's interesting. Uh, the authors initially wrote the book as a satire. Huh. And then they publicly got published and everyone's like, this is so true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they used uh, this is fascinating too um, they used their own jargon to describe stuff so uh, in chapter 3 they discuss exceptions and then debunk them one of these illusory exceptions is when someone who is incompetent is still promoted anyway they coined the phrase percussive sublimation this is for, <laughs> this is for the phenomenon of being kicked upstairs but it's only a pseudo-promotion, a move from one unproductive position to another. This improves staff morale, as other employees believe they, too, can be promoted again. Uh, another pseudo-promotion is the, <laughs> lat- the lateral arabesque, when a person is moved out of the way and given a longer job title. Oh, I've seen that. <laughs> the thing yeah, about- there you go. We're mo- moving over here. But we're 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 giving you a job title that sounds really really fancy. <laughs> yes, you know. And some people go, "Oh, okay. Now I can call myself this." Yeah, that's true. Uh, you're doing the very same thing, or something equivalent, but uh, it's a fancy title. But Lateral that... arabesque. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> don't you feel oh, like good. if you're in a position where you were competent and you get moved to a position where you're you're over your head? That you wouldn't mind a lateral arabesque or, you know, like, or even a demotion where you get to resume your old job duties without a loss and uh, rung on the ladder? I've seen it. When I was a young scientist uh, at a lab, um, we had this guy come into our our group, our work group, and he was not very good. Uh, He kept making mistakes and he wasn't very knowledgeable in what we were doing. You know, and uh, so we had to cover for him and be very careful uh, because we were doing experiments and and uh, the types of experiments we were doing that we could hurt each other and kill each other. So we had to be really careful. But finally, uh, he wasn't there long, maybe a, uh, a month or two. Uh, he moved to another group, another research group. But over there, that's what he was good at. And he rose to, to prominence that he was excellent at something else. In our group, he was terrible because he was like a fish out of water. He didn't know what he was doing. You move him to where he was good, and all of a sudden, he just shined. Mm-hmm. He, he just shone like, like, a, like a star. And I learned that uh, way back when. I go, look, never judge someone uh, on their, their job. Judge on their placement. You know, maybe they're in the wrong place. And like, find like Michael Jordan on a baseball team. Yeah, same thing. Find where they're good and make sure you put the person and the job together and they're going to have success. And don't blame the person. Uh, blame maybe they're not in the right place. Everybody has value and everybody has competency. Just find where you're going to shine. You have to find your place in this world and don't don't let other people tell you. You find it yourself. Well, we're almost so I like at, that. We're almost at an hour, so we're going to do one last law. Okay. And then we'll close it out for the day. This has been fun. It's a fun conversation that's sort I like of the, divorced I like from the, divorced from political politics or the news. Just sort of, I mean, we t- we touched on the news a little bit, but I I kind of like these episodes we do where it's not just can you believe what happened in the world? The world sucks. <laughs> Yeah. It's sort of a way of contextualizing the world. So this last one is Sturgeon's Law. Do you know what Sturgeon's Law is? I've heard the word. Sturgeon's Law states that 90% of everything is crap. <laughs> How do you spell it? E-R? S-T-U-R-G-E-R. Like surgeon with a T. Sturgeon. Sturgeon's Law. I'm looking it up. 
Uh, That's exactly what you said. Yeah. 90% of everything is crap. The adage was coined by Theodore Surgeon. (laughs) Wow. That's really uh, uh, a pessimist, pessimistic view of everything. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder where he saw that and where, how that applies. Well, here is 90% of everything is, is crud. I don't know. I, I, I disagree with Sturgeon's Law. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of do, too. Now, oh, well, he may have been in a position where he saw that. Yeah. You can be places where that's true, but that's not true every place. Uh, there are good places around. There are good people around. So it's not true everywhere. Also, you know, the, the I, I'm thinking of it in terms of goods. The goods you can order these days, uh, most of them are pretty high quality. I got a pair of wireless earbuds, and maybe we'll put it on the website, affiliate link, Amazon. They're called Boltoon Wireless he- uh, Wireless Earbuds. Let me look them up uh, on Amazon. When I got them, they were 25 bucks. Uh, right now, I think they were on sale. Yeah, they're 29 so I got a you know, 15% deal off or whatever. Uh, they function like Apple AirPods, which are AirPods. AirPods are 199 oh no, 128 with the traditional AirPods. But they're, uh, so they're 100 bucks cheaper than the AirPods. I think they probably work just as well, if not better. Uh, I've been using them. They're great. I like them a lot. They were 25 bucks. They're not crap. They're incredible. I have my phone in my pocket. I can talk to someone on the phone. I can listen to music. I can plug in my phone and walk around the house. They, they weigh zero grams, as far as I can tell. You know, they're not heavy. Um, the battery lasts for hours. So, uh, you know, there's something, they're the cheapest ones, and they're not crap. Uh, so I think a lot about, like, goods. Now, when he says everything, does that mean people and services that you'll purchase and stuff like that? By reading on, I guess people have spun off of that idea and said, yeah, you know. Well, the other thing, uh, I, they said, well, down here further down, uh, just within the last decade, uh, they would say, yeah, that... Uh, whether you're talking about physics, chemistry, evolutionary psychology, sociology, medicine, you name it, rock music, country music, 90% of everything is crap. Uh, well, you know, we, uh, there's, in all of these, we see something really valuable. But what we don't see is everything that was done before we got to something that was valuable. <laughs> Sometimes you have to go through the weeds before you get the flower. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's what they're talking about. Also, I mean, I think that if you talk about music, that's where I'm most comfortable talking. 90% of everything is crap to me, but not to someone else. That's true. So their 10% might be completely different from my 10% based upon where they grew up, what song they heard when they were a teenager while they were making out with a girl for the first time. Or, you know, there's a lot of life experiences that go into music and they'll hear a song and they'll be like, I love that song. And I'll hear the same song and I'll have it associated with the negative memory and I'll say, that song sucks. That song's part of the 90%. They say, no, that song's part of the 10%. So, I mean, if you're judging on art especially, it really becomes a matter of opinion. What's crap and what's not. And if you're talking about physics and math, that's that's kind of my area. uh, You know, someone could say something wrong. That's valuable because it's on the the responsibility of the people who say, no, it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Here's why it's wrong. And I a lot of people say things that don't work or they're incorrect. And it makes the other people start thinking about why it's not correct. And when they think about why, it leads them in directions to create something new. And so you say, yeah, it's crap, but it doesn't mean it's not valuable. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you see something that's wrong, you identify why it's wrong, and it allows you you to reveal or to discover why it should be right, and you start moving in that direction, otherwise you never would have. And uh, it's kind of like before you can solve a problem, you have to know what the problem is. 
<laughs> and so, oh yeah, that's that's not right. But actually, that reveals something that people are thinking of. No, here's why it's wrong. And then you start moving in that direction and creating something brand new and something useful. So, so yeah, maybe maybe uh, in some areas, 90% of crap is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> but I say it's not necessarily uh, useless because sometimes we can uh, learn from from other people's uh, crap. S- some some people's crap <laughs> is other people's uh, motivation <laughs> to, to clean it up. And cleaning up the crap sometimes creates some some new some new ways of doing things you never would have in the first place. Anyway, that that maybe maybe we're coming coming up with our own razor here, our law, David. One man's crap it, is another man's treasure. <laughs> <laughs> One man's crap is, a, is another man's innovation uh-huh. or, or inspiration. One man's crap is another man's inspiration. Crap okay. is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, crap to me is no way, but crap to a fly, they'll go right to it. That's food. Like flies to manure. Uh, I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs> yeah, we have our own. <laughs> hey, good job, David. I think this we was fun. We have our own law. This was fun today. Uh, tomorrow we'll be live on YouTube uh, for the first time ever. Wow, nice. And uh, check out our site, sonsofsequoia.com. Well, I'll leave a uh, affiliate link for those wireless headphones that I got. If you use the affiliate link, you can help out the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we'll talk to you in the next podcast. Bye. Okay. Bye, David. Keep on talking. But listen as much as you talk. There you go. There you go.